the views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, sitting in for Rick, here's Isabel Barrow. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. I'm Isabel Barrow, in for Rick and Jean this weekend. And I'm thrilled to be with you here today. Well, if you're a recipient of Social Security or you're on Medicare, you receive a military salary or expecting a tax refund, here's something that might be of interest to you. Last week, the Senate voted to finally extend the government's debt ceiling, which is our borrowing authority, into December, which temporarily averted a default, raised the government's debt ceiling by $480 billion, which is what the Treasury Department says we need to get us safely to December 3rd. Now, yes, that federal debt is the amount of money the government currently owes for spending on payments like Social Security, Medicare, military salaries, and tax refund. So raising the debt ceiling doesn't authorize additional spending of taxpayer dollars, but I guess the debate will be back on in December, something we all have to look forward to. (laughs) And in somewhat surprising bad news, the September jobs report was disappointing. The gain for the month was just under 200,000 jobs, which was less than half of what economists had expected. In August, it was also relatively low at only 366,000 jobs. The past two months saw a pretty steep drop off from what we saw back in June and July with a million and a million and one, respectively. But since the bottom of the pandemic lows, employers have added back 17 million jobs, due in part to a huge infusion of federal aid, but also because the rollout of vaccines meant that many consumers are more confident returning to shops, going back to restaurants and bars. But the not so good is that 183,000 people stopped looking for work altogether last month and therefore were no longer counted among the jobless. Now, the labor force participation rate is the percentage of all people of working age who are employed or are actively seeking work. Before the pandemic, that labor participation rate had been around 63 percent. Now it's closer to 61. Economists don't know why so many have chosen to stay unemployed, even as demand has gone up. Now, some may have lingering fears about infection or have difficulty with childcare arrangements, Some have taken early retirement or are just taking time off to rethink their careers. Hiring has slowed partly because companies just can't find nearly as many workers to fill the need. So it's not the lack of the jobs. It's the lack of the people being able to fill them. In June, employers posted a record of 10.9 million job openings and have struggled to fill them. And while many assumed that we'd see big changes when the enhanced unemployment benefits ended in September, the end of the federal aid doesn't appear to have much of an effect, at least so far. Now, how bad are the supply chains? Well, it's gotten so bad that many retailers have decided to cut out a few links in the chain 
or the middleman, so to speak, and are taking control of their own supply dynamics. One of those, Costco. They've recently chartered three ocean vessels for next year to ship containers between U.S. and Canada and Asia. Costco has leased several thousand containers to use on these chartered ships, and IKEA has bought its own shipping container to ship furnishings. Well, if you've had to buy any furniture this year, you know how long it takes. Walmart as well has chartered some vessels to get them through this year's holiday season. And all these extra costs for the retailers can mean only one thing, more inflation. And one retailer who's really felt the pain from an inflation, dollar stores. Well, if there's one business model that is certainly made harder during periods of inflation, it's one that's predicated upon the cost of all your goods being fixed at a dollar. And so, yes, after several decades of selling most things for a dollar, Dollar Tree plans to roll out more plus stores. That's a store that also sells things for $3 or $5. Now, they cite far higher than average shipping costs that have affected their company's ability to make money. And they do feel that it's more prolonged than they had originally assumed. And many feel that way. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell cautioned last week that inflation may last longer than originally anticipated. According to Powell, it's elevated and will remain so in coming months before then moderating. And that the effects have been larger and longer lasting than they originally anticipated, but will eventually abate. And they expect inflation to go back toward their longer run goal of 2%. A key inflation gauge watched by the Federal Reserve hit another 30-year high, and that's the Consumer Price Index the CPIU. Over the last 12 months, it was 5.4% before the seasonal adjustment. The indexes for food and shelter rose in September, and together they contributed to more than half of the monthly all-item seasonal adjusted increase. In September alone, the energy index was up by about 1.3%, with the gasoline index going up 1.2%. I'm sure you have noticed that at the pump. And if you look at the energy index over the last 12 months, well, yeah, it was up almost 25%. And the food index over that same period, around 4.5%. And we know that a key driver of inflation overall affects things from lumber to oats to propane and natural gas. And it's propelled by big increases in demand coming from all of these economies that are reopening. Rising prices are then being passed on to consumers through the increases in those finished goods and products. Now, what does this mean for your winter gas bill? Are you ready for it? Because if you're one of the nearly half of U.S. households that heat with natural gas, you might want to get ready for an average of 30% higher bills compared with last year. And it could be as much as 50% higher if the winter is even 10% colder than average. So what can you do to prepare Well, first of all, make sure you get an energy-efficient tune-up to make sure your systems are operating correctly. Maybe you can pay into a program through your regular bill. Some utility companies offer special programs to allow you to pay over time. Examine your monthly budget. Maybe think about using less gas overall, commuting to work, and uh, cutting down on the gasoline for your car. Maybe keeping your thermostat lower, but still bearable. Look for other budget items that can be scaled back that will help you to be ready for that higher natural gas bill. And also, there are federal assistance programs available to help you with utility bills. One of the most well-known is called the Low-Income Home Energy Assistance Program. 
Now, it does require that your income doesn't exceed 60% of the state's median income. Some states have discounted rate programs, such as percentage of income payments, and programs are meant to keep those bills affordable and forgive past due amounts if you're able to pay that discounted rate back on time. Now, we've been talking a lot about inflation and taxes. Those are some of the main threats to your retirement income overall. And if you're worried about how these things and others might eat into your overall retirement savings, give us a call at 888-PLAN-RIC to get a free retirement review and financial plan from an Edelman Financial Engines planner. Between now and this coming Tuesday at 10 p.m., if you call us at 888-PLAN-RIC or sign up at edelmanfinancialengines.com, You'll meet with an experienced financial planner who will give you objective answers and advice, including a portfolio analysis with recommendations about how to help protect your retirement income. You'll also get a personal financial plan made specifically for your life and your needs. And that plan alone is worth $800 and includes the next steps that you can take for your financial future and the rest of your life. So give us a call at 888-PLAN-RIC between now and 10 p.m. on Tuesday or sign up at edelmanfinancialengines.com for your free retirement review and personal financial plan. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show. Well, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the passing of a great American patriot. Colin Powell has passed away. He was a retired four-star general and he served as the first black secretary of state. And unfortunately, he is at age 84, passed away of complications due to COVID-19. Colin Powell served 35 years in the U.S. military, twice in Vietnam, being wounded twice. In his second tour, he survived a helicopter crash and then later went back to rescue others out of a burning helicopter for which he was awarded the Soldier's Medal in 1968. And then later in 1989, he was appointed the chairman of the Joint Chiefs by President George H.W. Bush and was at that time the youngest officer to hold the position and has been since at age 52. He was also the first black officer to serve the post. In the Persian Gulf War in 1991, he was chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and had a central role in overseeing Operation Desert Shield and Desert Storm. The overwhelming military force quickly led to victory over Iraqi forces, and there were few American casualties. He also earned the Presidential Medal of Freedom twice and helped launch the children's advocacy group, America's Promise. He did return as Secretary of State later in 2001 to 2005 during George W. Bush's administration. Our deepest and sincere condolences go out to the Powell family. Thank you for your service. I'm Isabel Barrow in for Rick Edelman. We'll have more coming up on the Rick Edelman Show on Social Security and Medicare. Triple Eight Plan Rick, rickedelman.com. Stay with us for more. information on what you need to do now go to rickedelman.com that's rickedelman.com welcome back to the rick edelman show i'm isabel barrow in for rick and gene today if you have a question, give us a call at 888-PLAN-RICK or rickedelman.com. 
I was talking about the debt ceiling debate in our last segment. And aside from that debate, Congress is also facing another deadline that may impact your Social Security. And as we know, in about 13 years or so, the Social Security Trust Fund will be depleted. And if nothing's done, benefit checks are still going to be going out. But it's estimated that only 78% of the promised benefits will be payable at that time. Now, there are a lot of ways that lawmakers could change benefits to improve the program. The general consensus being, well, we could raise taxes, we could cut benefits, or we could do a little bit of both. Now, currently... 50% of your benefits may be taxable to you if your income's between 25 and 34,000 and you're an individual filer. And 85% of your benefits are subject to taxes if you have more than $34,000 of income or for a married couple, about 44,000. Now, lawmakers could change that to bring in more money to the system. Right now, workers contribute about 6.2% of their paychecks into Social Security, which is then matched by the employer. But those taxes only apply right now on wages up to about 143000 So two things could happen. That rate could be increased or the amount that is taxed could be increased because Even just a tenth of a percent or a hundredth of a percent can make a huge difference considering that there's about 175 million workers paying in. They could also change the retirement age, um, the age of eligibility. And in 1983, it went from 65 to gradually increase all the way up to 67. Now, whatever Congress does, you have to have a good idea whether you're on track for retirement already and consider what benefit cut might do to your plan. But on some other good news for those who are currently living on Social Security or Social Security income, supplemental security income benefits, those benefits for about 70 million Americans, that's everybody who's receiving that Social Security or SSI right now, well, it's going to go up in 2022 by 5.9%. That's right, almost 6% cost of living increase. Now, the Social Security Act ties that annual COLA to the Labor Department's CPI index. Other increases uh, are going to affect you as well, which is that taxable wage base, how much you have to pay of your income you have to pay Social Security on, well, that's going up also. As are the numbers for uh, how much you're allowed to earn and have taken Social Security early, the income level you can have without impacting your Social Security benefits, well, those have gone up slightly. Now, to know whether or not or how much this is going to affect you, Social Security and SSI beneficiaries are going to get a letter in the mail, typically in early December, outlining what their new benefit amount will be. And you're also typically able to see that on your Social Security account online, which is socialsecurity.gov backslash my account. This is one of the highest increases we've seen in many years. In fact, over the last couple of years, the increases were more like zero in 2016 to 1.3 this past year. So 5.9%. Yep, that's a pretty big bump. Going to help out a lot of people who are living on a fixed income. Well, now let's talk about Medicare. When most Americans turn 65, you have three basic options for your health care coverage. It's either traditional Medicare, a Medicare plus a supplemental plan, or a Medicare Advantage plan, which is a range of managed care plans. 
And if you're on Medicare already or you're getting close to Medicare eligibility, age of 65, or if you have a family member who is, here are some basics that you need to know. So first of all, if you're over 65, you're already on Medicare, you need to know that the open enrollment period is October 15th through December 7th. Now, during that period, you can change from original Medicare to a Medicare Advantage plan. You can change from a Medicare Advantage plan back to original Medicare. You can switch from one Advantage plan to another. You can join or switch a Medicare drug plan or drop your Medicare drug coverage completely. Any new coverage that you set up during that window will start as of January 1. But it's important to note that that open enrollment period is not for enrolling in Part A or B for the first time. This is separate for those who are already on Medicare. Now, Medicare drug plans can change from year to year. So if you're signing up for one of those, they are through private insurance companies that have contracts with the federal government and the coverage can change. So you might be able to save money by shopping around based on different types of medications you might be on or expect to be on. Now, for those of you who are thinking about Medicare options down the road, who are turning 65 soon or over 65, but maybe you're still working and you're on an employer-sponsored plan but are thinking about retiring eventually, there are a few basics to know about these three main options you have for Medicare. Supplemental insurance, which is Medicare A and B, and then purchasing a supplement is usually the best option uh, if you can afford it or if you have health issues. Now, these are plans, again, you get Medicare A and B, which is hospital care and doctor's care, and then you have a supplemental plan through the private company that you pay for separately. And while these plans are more expensive, often upfront, they may offer better coverage overall than the alternatives. Now, you could also choose to have Medicare alone, which is your A and B, without anything supplemental, but having that alone can be risky. Now, about 5.6 million Americans do typically enroll in traditional Medicare and then don't have any supplemental insurance. So they will still pay a Medicare premium. People buying supplemental coverage or enrolling in Medicare Advantage must also pay that premium. But in this case, you don't have any extra costs except for drugs, that is, if you don't seek any medical care. The problem is, if you get sick or injured and you require a long-term stay in a hospital or a skilled nursing facility, that could be an issue. You'll pay the Medicare Part B premium and share part of the cost of Medicare for um, Part B healthcare services, meaning Medicare is going to pay 80% of the cost and you are going to pay 20 Now, that 20% is the risk to you, and it's hard to get an idea before you have a medical procedure of what that total cost is going to be. And regardless, if you need the procedure quickly or it's an emergency, it's kind of hard to go price shopping at that point. Now, what about a Medicare Advantage plan? Those do tend to be cheaper for seniors who are in good health, but they may have a downside of being more financially risky for patients who have major health issues. If you're not going to the doctor a lot and you usually stay in network, Medicare Advantage might be less expensive than Medicare with a supplement. And some may not even have premiums at all. And Occasionally, that also includes a drug plan or extra benefits like dental or vision or hearing care. But there is a problem, and it can be a big one. Medicare Advantage patients have to use in-network providers or have copays that are substantially higher than they would have otherwise been. And if you need to see a specialist, it may be a little harder to work out with a Advantage plan versus a supplemental plan. 
Now, not all Advantage plans are the same. Starting an Advantage plan and then figuring you can switch to a supplemental plan down the road if your health gets worse, well, that can be a risky strategy depending on where you live. In most states, the companies that sell supplemental insurance have the right to charge you more or deny you coverage after that initial sign-up period. And not all Advantage plans are the same. Some are set up as HMOs, where you have to stay within a network. Others are like PPOs, which will pay maybe a portion of the cost when you go out of network. PPOs give patients more freedom, according to health experts. And for you snowbirds, supplemental may be a better option if you tend to travel. Medicare Advantage plans usually have a network of doctors in certain states or maybe a portion of that state. So if you're traveling, they'll generally cover a medical emergency, but not chronic problems. Now, it's also important to note that supplemental plans can get more expensive as you get older. And different states have different rules. So be sure you talk to an expert before you make a decision. Here at Edelman Financial Engines, our financial planners refer clients to eHealth to assist them in finding the right Medicare plan to meet their needs or for them. And we do this all as part of an overall comprehensive financial planning conversation. If you'd like to have that now, between now and next Tuesday at 10 p.m., we're offering a free retirement review and personal financial plan. You'll get a personalized financial plan made specifically for you, your life, your needs. And that plan alone is worth $800. It will include the next steps that you can take for your financial future and the rest of your life. So give us a call at 888-PLAN-RICK or rickedelman.com. With the publisher of the newsletter, Inside Personal Finance, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. Isabel Barrow in for Rick today. And we're heading to Brooklyn, New York. We're going to be talking with David how can I help you? I am seeking help, actually lots of help. I'm 65 years old. I have uh, very little savings, just a little over $100,000. And as I think about retirement and you know what I have, pretty much left on my name, I'm married. I have no children. I'm, I'm unemployed right now, seeking, seeking employment. And really, I, you know, I have this, this pot, um, which is not much of a pot um, in terms of you know, thinking about you know, where I'm going to be several years down the road. Um, so I'm getting nervous. You know, this is stressful, very anxiety-provoking situation. So I need some ideas on, you know, wh- what to do. What, you know, what do I do with this little money that I have sitting around that, you know, will vanish in no time, you know, with my current daily uh, living expenses and just want to get an idea of what I can do to catch up. I've always been a very, you know, frivolous spender and, you know, just kind of throwing money out the window left and right. And, you know, here it is. Now it's caught up with me and now I'm trying to you know, figure out, you know, what to do. Yeah. David, unfortunately, the story that you're telling is one that just so many people are familiar with. But let me just start off by saying it's not as bad as you might think. Are you living off this 100000 right now? Yes. Okay. And how yes. much are you spending, do you think, on a monthly basis? It's got to be, you know, between rent and utilities and, and food. There's really not much else outside of that. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. between three and four thousand dollars. Okay. Um, 
and I'm doing some, you know, odd job side work, and you know that brings in a little bit of money here and there. It's, it's nothing steady, but you know, I mean, the, I just see this, you know, savings just kind of dwindle, right? Uh, and, you know, just it, it's, it's becoming less and less. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not drastic when I look back and, and 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 think about okay, so what did I spend this past month? But it's it's going to be gone if if I don't do something. And you know, like you said. Other people, you know, are in the situation, and I hear about that all the time. That you know, people approach retirement with with nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, even people that have won the lottery have, have <laughs> it's gone true. broke. Yep, uh, you're right. <laughs> sometimes it's just a, a matter of uh, of procrastination, David. You know, sometimes it's just that people think more about spending, you know, what they're going to spend on vacations, and they think about what they're going to spend on on their retirement, and then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're 65, and you say, "Wait a second. I'm getting close, you know? Exactly. But the average American has less than $100,000 in retirement savings. Um, and that's up this year from where it was last year even. So, you know, like I said, you're not in as bad shape as you think you are, but that doesn't mean that we can't make it better. So you're married. Is your wife working? No, not currently. Okay. And are you both thinking that work is in the cards for you? Or are you considering working in the future? Uh, yes. Yeah, she's she's closer to getting some type of steady work, and I, and I'm getting there. I, I've been I've been talking to folks, and you know I've been scheduling interviews, and I'm 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 getting close, which which will you know which will be a decent paying job. So you know I mean I like to get a sense of okay, so if you're looking to retire at let's say you know in another five years or let's say another ten years max, then you know what do I need to do? How much do I need to build? How much catch up? per se, do I need to, to play in order to be in a situation where, let's say, five or ten years from now, okay, I can, I can safely, you know, retire. Okay. Well, let's try to figure that out. But let's also, let's just get some of the, the other financials here because that's, sure. I think, going to help us with this bigger picture. So, you know, let's, mm-hmm. let's sort of assume that, okay, you're going to have some work that's going to offset this for the next couple of years. But, you know, may, may I just take a moment and also say that you're 65. So in theory, you're also eligible at age 62 or over for a social security benefit. I'm not saying you should take it right now, but in theory, if you couldn't get work, you know, if you were in a situation other than the one you're in right now where you said, you know, my wife and I really are just not able to work, you know, we just can't find jobs and it's just not going to happen in our area. What would your social security checks be? Are you, are you familiar with what your benefits are going to look like either at full retirement age or if you were to take it now? Uh, yes, I, and I, you know, and I, and I looked at that. I, there, there's a statement of earnings or some type of an earnings statement that I can access online with mm-hmm. Social Security. And I believe that at full retirement, which I think is 67. Mm-hmm. That um, sounds right. And I didn't know I could retire as early as 28. I'm sorry, 28. <laughs> 62. I could retire as early as 62. Um, at full retirement, I know that it'll be around $2,800 monthly. Okay. That I'll get. 2800 and do you have any idea about your wife was she similar earner as you uh no and she's about 10 years younger okay so she's only 55 she's not going to be eligible right. for social security for a while but for a while, correct even if let's say she didn't work or she didn't have benefits um she would 
at her full retirement age or 62 or older be eligible for some spousal benefits. So, you know, even if she didn't work and she didn't have a scenario where she's going to be working in the future, eventually she would have been eligible for and may still be for spousal benefits, which is roughly half of what you'd be getting. So, you know, if she waited till her full retirement age and you were taking Social Security, that'd be another $1,400 a month. So by my math, that's $4,200 between the two of you. You're 28 and uh, her 14. So that covers almost all of your expenses. Now, not including taxes, but if you're living between three and $4,000 a month, you might have a lot of that, the majority of it, covered by your Social Security check down the road. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of peace of mind as well. Now, in the event that, you know, we are not going to take Social Security now because ultimately the longer you wait, the more you're going to receive. So in this case, given that you do want to work and that you are planning to work for the foreseeable future, um, go ahead and delay it. If you take it earlier than full retirement age and you are working, there's also an earned income penalty, meaning you get a little bit less uh, because you have that earned income. Once you reach full retirement age, it's not an issue anymore. You can take Social Security. There's no earned income penalty there and you're good to go. Again, not suggesting that that's what you should do, but you are able to should that be the choice that you make. So if we now say, all right, between now, you know, when you're 70, you're going to want to have around $4,000 a month. That is $48,000 a year. And let's say after taxes, you need about sixty grand. Okay, you're going to have you alone $2,800 from Social Security. And, and then, uh, you know, 10 years from now or 12 years from now, your wife will have some Social Security as well. But since we don't know that number here, I'm not going to include it. So we have your Social Security benefit. That's going to be, I don't know, we'll say 35000 meaning... Your difference here in what you have coming in and what you're going to need is about $25,000. So $25,000 in, let's say, we're going to go with five years. Does that sound like a good time frame for you? To fully retire? Yeah. Probably a little bit longer. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very physically capable, mentally, and, and all, the, all those things. I could see myself stretching it out a little, a little bit longer. Okay. So if we then say you retire at 72, let's say, and you've done yeah, yeah. mm-hmm. 72, let's say. All right. So we're going to give you seven years and uh, we know you want $25,000 or so a year. And actually, now that I think about it, that number should be a little bit smaller because the 2800 we were basing this on was your full retirement number. And in fact, you're going to have a little bit more than that because you're going to wait until age 70 to take it in this scenario. So let's say you've got more like 3,400 or so coming from Social Security. That gives you 40 grand, okay? 60,000 minus 40,000 that is going to have coming in from Social Security means you only need to make up a difference of about 20,000 a year. If you have $100,000 now and you want to be able to draw $20,000 a year off of that in the future, you basically need to grow the pot over the next seven years to $500,000. That's what is likely to be able to continue to generate somewhere in that $20,000, $25,000 a year um, income need. Okay? So how do we get there? Mm-hmm. You need to be figuring out how to save roughly, I would say, three to $4,000 a month. Now, after expenses... If you and your wife are both working, how realistic is it that you think you could save somewhere between three to four thousand dollars a month? 
It's uh, pretty realistic. I think that that's that that's doable if we're both working. I, I mean, I, I think even just with my own job, because I, I, I'm in a situation where you know my jobs pay pay pretty pretty well once I get it. Um, so that that's pretty doable. Okay, excellent. So first place to save if you do get the job that you think you're going to get is in their 401k plan. That all comes off pre-tax. That's the best place to save between now and then. Have your wife do the same. And if they don't have a 401k plan, then look at an IRA, you know, pop some money aside there. But if you can get to that goal of saving around three or so thousand dollars a month between now and when you retire at 72, I think you're going to be okay. Mm, Okay. That, that is a light at the end of the tunnel. It sure is. So, yeah, and that being a doable number, maybe even more. And when you're talking about 401, I'm talking about jumping in and, uh, and, and maxing it out as much as possible. Absolutely. And hopefully you get a match too, David. So something to look yeah. for in your future employer. Listen, David, I really appreciate your calling in. This is a great question. I wish you the best of luck. So um, and remember, you so you're much. not as bad off as you think you are. And it's never too late to start. Thank you. And hopefully this helps many others that are out there in the same boat. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was David in Brooklyn, New York. I'm Isabel Barrow. This is The Rick Edelman Show. We're at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742 or at rickedelman.com. Stay with us. the Rick Edelman Show. I'm Isabel Barrow in for Rick today. Triple Eight Plan Rick, rickedelman.com. A couple of weeks ago when I was filling in for Rick, I took a question from Lynn in Pound Ridge, New York about her spousal social security benefits. She had a question about restricted social security filing and it brought up a lot of other questions that came up about this, but one in particular that came up from Lisa and Lisa's question was, my name is Lisa and my birthday is September of 1954. My husband's been deceased for several years years and I am still working. I had heard that I would be able to collect my husband's social security while mine continued to grow until I was ready to collect mine. I contacted social security and a financial advisor that specializes in social security and I was told by both that yes was true. So I began receiving my husband's about a year ago. I heard on your radio show that your age had to be before January 2nd of 1954. I'm hoping the difference was my husband passed away and her husband was still living so that what I am doing does still work and I was not ill-advised. Could you give me any clarification on this? Thanks, Lisa, for the question. And you're correct. The difference here is specifically that your question relates to a survivor's or a widow's benefit, while the question we got from Lynn was about spousal benefits. So these are two completely different scenarios. So widow's benefits are calculated differently and based on different numbers than this restricted filing benefit. So the restricted filing benefit that we were talking about is for individuals who are full retirement age or older that were born before January 2nd of 1954 were able to restrict 
to a spouse's filing, meaning they take Social Security but restrict it only to a spouse's benefit, the benefit that they would receive as being a spouse of another Social Security recipient, and are therefore not taking their own, allowing their own to continue to build until they're ready to take it. In this case, Lisa... It doesn't apply to you, but I really appreciate your reaching out to us and for your question and giving me the ability to further clarify something that is super, super complicated. And if you're like Lisa and you have a lot of questions about your Social Security benefits or your retirement plan in general, this is a great reason to reach out to a financial advisor. And if you don't have an advisor, give us a call at 888-PLAN-RICK or rickedelman.com. Now, changing gears, after eight years of waiting for a U.S. Bitcoin ETF, the crypto community has finally gotten one. But is it really what you think it is? Now, the U.S. ETF industry overall is worth $7.6 trillion, So it makes sense that a Bitcoin-related fund would be issued as an ETF or an exchange-traded fund. And a fund has recently started trading and others have applied But these funds hold Bitcoin futures and Bitcoin-related exposure rather than the actual coins. The SEC hasn't been supportive of the idea of direct investments in cryptocurrency within an ETF because they're concerned that the trading isn't transparent enough to protect investors from fraud or manipulation. And so invest managers have had to work around the issue by creating a Bitcoin's futures product. So unlike digital currency, futures trade on regulated markets like the Chicago Merck. Now, these new products do plan to invest a majority of their assets in both futures markets and or Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency exposure or supporting infrastructure. Now, at least it provides investors with some indirect access to cryptocurrency if that makes sense for them. So what is the lesson here? Do your homework, read the entire article, not just the headline, and don't invest in something you don't understand. If you want to invest in crypto ETFs, do so with the full picture taken into account, not just through the lens of your speculative bet. There's nothing wrong with having risk in your portfolio, but it should be risk that's well thought out, part of your overall picture. Bottom line, talk to an advisor about the portfolio, especially if it's something speculative like crypto or a crypto ETF. Well, have you been traveling? Because in general, U.S. travelers are back, but travel does look a little bit different these days than it did in the past. After canceling all the big trips and cruises in 2020 because of the pandemic, it seems that Americans are rushing out to make up for missing out on all that leisure time. But they are tending to stay more local. They're heading to more rural destinations or activity-based vacations versus flying overseas and staying in hotels or heading out to big cities. Some of the new trends that have been emerging are increased interest in spending on outdoor activities and maybe private vacation rentals with longer-term stays with family and friends. According to the U.S. Travel Association, travel spending had plummeted by about $500 billion in 2020. And of course, this had a devastating effect on that travel workforce because we now know that about 65% of all of the jobs that were lost in 2020 in the U.S. were those that were supported by travel. But now the U.S. travel sector does seem to be bouncing back. Travel Association reports that travel spending now is close to pre-pandemic levels. Hotel occupancy this summer recovered with nearly 70% occupancy in July compared with about 73% during July of 2019. But the spending is showing up, as I mentioned before, in different ways. According to a VRBO spokesperson, 
they have experienced their best year ever. While we're able to get back together with our extended families, many of us did so by renting homes for a long vacation or staying in a long-term rental while maybe working from home, albeit not your normal home, but a rental home. Activities and types of destinations are also different this year with a bigger focus on outdoor sports like boating activities or other outdoor leisure activities. In Yellowstone National Park, for example, well, they had their most visited August on record with more than 900,000 visitors in the month of August, more than the pre-pandemic total for the same month by 12%, according to the National Park Service. And according to Airbnb, about 42% of the nights that were booked by families this summer were in rural places, showing that travel consumers are still wary of spending time in the crowded cities and have preferred to find rural locations to enjoy their trips without those crowds or those urban dwelling concerns. And uh, local travel is more popular now as well. Trips of 250 miles or less in July and August increased by over 20% compared with the same time in 2019. Going forward, more than 50% of American adults plan to take a domestic vacation before the end of 2022, according to AAA. So where are you spending your travel dollars this year? And has travel now become a more important player in your overall budget or retirement goal? I think for many people, the idea that we can delay family time or delay that trip we want to take, that's changed. We're more willing to spend the big bucks to take those trips, even if they're a little less exotic or urban than they were pre-2020. For retirees, often travel is a big reason for setting up that date to retire. You want to be able to travel and do all the things on your bucket list while you still can. And if you're starting to formulate your retirement plan and thinking about your future, what your retirement will look like, travel or not, consider working with a financial planner to help you define those goals and build a realistic budget. Well, thanks for sticking around here on the Rick Edelman Show. It's been a pleasure. I'm Isabel Barrow, and I've been in for Rick today, and Rick will be back next week. Now, as one final reminder, if you haven't heard me uh, mention it yet, we are offering a free retirement review and personal financial plan between now and this coming Tuesday at 10 p.m. Call 888-PLAN-RICK or sign up at rickedelman.com. You'll meet with an experienced financial planner who will give you an objective look at your plans. They'll answer your questions. They'll give you advice about your portfolio. They'll give you recommendations about how to protect your retirement income, maybe that travel goal. You'll also get a personal financial plan made specifically for your life and your needs, which alone is an $800 value. Call 888-PLAN-RICK by 10 p.m. on Tuesday to sign up for your free retirement review and personal financial plan. It's been great being here today. Rick will be back next week. Have a great weekend.